you're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss the alchemy of the color blue, and we're going to uh, go to several different sources here uh, in order to better understand this. And I think it's important that we look at the concept of color and uh, many of the alchemical associations made with color as well as the meanings of the symbology behind it, especially as we see going on in the world today. So we're going to look at some of these aspects of the alchemy behind the color blue. Uh, and we'll begin actually here reading first in the book here that's called The Hermetic Science of Motion and Number by A.S. Raleigh. This is a fantastic book and I highly recommend everybody uh, pick it up and read it because uh, it's available for free uh, on the internet. You could download it as a, a PDF file and it's a fantastic primer on how uh, many of these alchemical ideas work. It gives you a broad overview of some of these principles and some of the things that were known by generations long ago that we have since forgotten and much of this information has been kept hidden from the public within the confines of the secret society groups. So uh, these are the kinds of things that we need to have a more firm understanding of how they utilize these different symbols and these different things like this, even something as simple as color, how they utilize it in a way that affects our mind. And we don't realize it because it affects our mind on an unconscious level. Uh, but there's a lot here to go over tonight. So we're going to start reading first here in this, this book, Hermetic Science of Motion and Number. And then we're going to skip over to a, a different document uh, a little bit later here. And I'll tell you about that one when we get to it. But uh, basically, there's just a couple key ideas here as a foundation to lay down about the color blue. Uh, so that's where we're going to begin. And we're going to go to page 100 in this book and start reading from there about the color blue. It says here, quote, the second primary color is blue, the color of emotion, the color of the astral body and the astral plane. In fact, all astral matter, that is to say all energy vibrating on the astral octave, is blue or red according as it is the positive or negative aspect. Blue being the negative, feminine or magnetic side of astral matter. While red is the positive, masculine side, the will in a word. The bluer the matter may be, therefore, indicating the absence of the red, the more magnetic it is. While the redder it is, the more electrical it may be. Will and desire are thus the two poles of astral matter. Will being red, desire blue. The dark blue indicates the more material desires. The pale blue, the more spiritual. It should be borne in mind that these colors are not simply a sign as a form of symbolism to represent those emotions, etc., but on the contrary, in their very nature, those emotions, when active, will vibrate at such a rate as to naturally take that color. And I'm going to pause there. Have you ever noticed that uh, a different color room or something like that, if you enter a room that's a, like, say, a, a blue painted room, uh, it, you have kind of a more mellow feel about it, and it invokes certain emotions in you and certain ideas 
are inherent in this and it's the same thing if you even look at the color red which it's saying is is essentially uh the the opposite pole of what blue represents here so if you uh see a building or something that's painted red like take for example oh i don't know a mcdonald's restaurant there's a reason that they use the color red this is directly intended to be a more masculine type energy a more forceful positive type energy to direct people's mindsets into accepting something like that to have this this type of uh emotional tie to it so uh uh, these colors vibrate at different frequencies, and uh, it says here that these emotions vibrate at that color frequency. So it, it's one and the same. So they're intrinsically linked. But let's let's continue here reading. Indigo blue is the color of occultism, and the dark indigo partakes of the evil. The element of sorcery, to a certain extent, the left-hand power, while the pure indigo is emblematic of pure occultism. I'm going to pause there, and that's a very important idea as well, because this is talking about a very dark shade of blue blending into uh, a more purplish hue, and this would be indigo. We see this on, you know, the color spectrum of the rainbow here. Well, blue fading to indigo is the color of occultism, okay? It's the color of the left-hand path of occultism, essentially. So that's an important idea to keep in mind here, too. Uh, let's continue on because there's just a little bit more here I would like to get through before we move over to the other document that we'll be reading from here. Violet, being a very high rate of vibration, is the color of magic because it is so far above the ordinary rate of vibration that it has the power of neutralizing and even transforming those rates into its own, thus giving the power of alchemy and other magical activities. Gonna pause there. Violet. This is the, the last spectrum on your traditional rainbow, okay? Violet. And this is associated with alchemy and magical activities because this will basically overpower all the other colors and uh, mix them in with it, so to say. Uh, that's, that's why we, we, when we see the, ra the rainbow, it fades from red to orange to yellow to green to blue to indigo to violet, okay? So that's the... the end spectrum that we could see here in the visible. Let's read on. Purple being blue mixed with red, therefore the positive aspect of emotion, astral matter positively expressed, is the color of mastership, and when seen in the aura of a person always indicates the master. Lavender, that is a pale purple, a great deal of white mixed with purple indicates the master on the astral plane, but merging towards the spiritual, a highly spiritualized aspect of purple, in fact. Pale azure blue is the mystic blue, indicating the union between the astral body and the astral world, and also, as it becomes paler, indicating a union between the astral and the spiritual. The paler the blue becomes, no matter what shade it may be, lavender or any of these other shades in fact the more of the spirit is indicated well the darker it becomes the more of the evil is present and that's about all we have to say in this book here about the color blue all right so uh essentially what we're talking about is there's various shades of blue and we could incur or infer different meanings depending on the different shades of blue uh, and now, uh, 
you know, with that background being laid down here and that uh, basic foundation, we'll get into the next document here. Some people will probably hear this and think, uh, yeah, what's the big deal? Okay, we're talking about color. Whoop-de-doo, there's nothing to that. Well, I've got news for you. There is an awful lot to it. Many of these things are ideas that are not something that's typically explored in the modern era, but uh, certain colors do have certain vibratory rates, and the color blue is one of the most important ones, especially in the modern era. It's used for the purpose of invoking intention, first of all, and second of all, it's, it's also used to invoke different feelings and reactions in people in their unconscious mind or their subconscious mind. You won't uh, actually perceive it on the conscious level, right? But your mind will perceive it on an unconscious level and act on it on a subconscious level. And that's why many of these things are so important. It, it's a type of archetype so to say. So when we're looking at the alchemical aspects of this thing, the color blue, uh, the next thing we're going to in, uh, refer to here is actually something that comes from an unexpected source. This comes from Pan Theater Reading List, which is kind of an arts school type reading list, okay? Uh, this has to do with the arts. So the, the name of this document is called Alchemical Blue and the Unio Mentalis. By James Hillman and uh, there's an, uh, a little aside here that goes after the title here that says the soul vanishes the soul vanishes into the shape of things Robert Kelly the blue so after it infers that we'll we'll go to the introductory part here and we'll read into this and then I'll go ahead and make some comments uh, upon it as we go and hopefully we will actually be able to gain a better understanding of what's being invoked when we see the color blue and the shade of blue that's being shown so that we could know what is this archetype what is what is this archetypal reaction that uh, the people who have put this out there are looking for in people and what's the intention behind it and when we understand a little better then we can know these things and that's why it's important to look at stuff like this go back to the old hermetic sciences and the old alchemical sciences and understand some of these things that the uh, the dark occultists who run this world understand that we the common people do not uh, these kinds of things that they leverage against us uh, to change our behaviors okay it's, it's called social engineering and it's done on a subconscious level largely and they do it through these different means that we don't understand fully and they use these old 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 sciences that uh, they would like to have us believe are nothing but nonsense, but they're not. I mean, there's there's real effects that can be achieved through invoking these archetypal ideas. And color is a key one that we don't even really think about, do we? Like I said, it affects us on a subconscious level. This document is actually, it says here, it's a chapter from a long study called Silver and the White Earth, which, by the way, I've tried looking up and I couldn't find any copies of this anywhere. So I'd be interested in getting a hold of that if anybody out there has that uh, document, that book. This is a chapter from a long study called Silver and the White Earth, the first part of which appeared in spring 1980 and the second in spring 1981 in an annual archetypal psychology and Jungian thought. A further piece and relevant to this is Salt in an essay in alchemical psychology in the Virgin in Myth, Literature, and Society, uh, written by Joanne Stroud and Gail Thomas. 
forthcoming Spring Publications, Summer 1981. Abbreviations are CW, Collected Works of C.G. Young, 20 volumes, Bollingen Series, Princeton University Press, and then it goes on to quote here, Paracelsus, The Hermetic and Alchemical Writings of Paracelsus, two volumes, New Hyde Park, University Books, 1967, and The Hermetic Museum, containing 22 most celebrated chemical tracts from 1678, two volumes, London, Watkins, 1953. Let's get into reading this. This is Alchemical Blue and the Unio Mentalis. Transitions from black to white sometimes go through a series of other colors, notably darker blues. The blues of bruises, sobriety, Puritan self-examination, the blues of slow jazz. Silver's color was not only white, but also blue. Going to pause there. Remember that now. Okay, it's talking about blue as a transition between black and white, and blue mixed with white is silver in color, and these ideas will become more important here later as we look through this a little deeper and really contemplate these things. So, silver's color was not only white, but also blue. Ruland lists 27 kinds of blue-colored silver. Norton writes, silver may easily be converted into the color of the lazulite because silver, produced by air, has a tendency to become assimilated to the color of the sky. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Silver is the color of the air. Okay, uh, there's, there's a lot of deep philosophical ideas that could be inferred here. Silver being a blue mixed with white, or an ascendant type blue energy, is associated with the element, the philosophical element of air, okay, which is also associated with the mind, associated with the age of Aquarius as well. Uh, Aquarius is an air sign, see, so uh, a lot of these ideas all interrelate and interconnect on a lot of really prolific type levels here when it comes to these things and it's amazing how it all ties together in different ways so you can infer different meanings from this kind of stuff so it's associating silver with the sky and the, the color blue and it says that silver has a, a tendency to be assimilated to the color of the sky anyway let's read on so strong is the association of blue with silver and whitening that even when modern chemistry disputes alchemical testimony, deriving a blue pigment from silver treated with salt, vinegar, etc., it assumes the alchemists had some to us unknown physical justification for their claim. It is not the claim based rather on fantasy, a sophic silver of a whitened imagination, which knows that blue belongs to silvering and therefore sees it. The blue transit between black and white is like that sadness, which emerges from despair as it proceeds toward reflection. Reflection here comes from one or takes one into a blue distance, less a concentrated act that we do than something insinuating itself upon us as a cold, isolating inhibition. The vertical withdrawal is also like an emptying out, the creation of a negative capability, or a profound listening, already an intimation of silver. And it, it quotes here from another source that talks about silver and sound. So there's another connotation there to keep in mind, folks. Silver 
as an association with sound. The author here is writing about blue being the transit between black and white, the whitening of black going through this blue phase. And it transitions through different shades of blue. And it, it starts, it says here, it also associates with these different emotions, sadness, which emerges from despair. So despair is like beyond sadness. So this would be a dark color blue. Sadness would be slightly uh, lighter colored blue. And it uh, proceeds towards reflection, which would be the silver color. The mirror, the mirror of the soul. Uh, so you could see, um, you know, some of these principles and express other ideas. So let, let's continue on there. I don't want to get too hung up on, on one specific thing or another. But remember, blue is a transitory phase between black and white. It's the whitening process. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a, an allegory for the enlightenment process of, of people, so to say, uh, where you step out from the darkness and come to light. And blue is a perfect representation of these many things. So let's read on here. These very experiences, Goethe associates with blue. Blue still brings a principle of darkness with it. As a hue, it is powerful, but it is on the negative side, and in its highest purity is, as it were, a stimulating negation, a kind of contradiction between excitement and repose. As the upper sky and mountains appear blue, so a blue surface seems to recede from us. It draws us after it. Blue gives us an impression of cold, and thus again reminds us of shade. We have before spoken of its affinity with black. Rooms which are hung with pure blue appear in some degree larger, but at the same time empty and cold. Objects seen through a blue glass are gloomy and melancholy. Sadness is not the whole of it. A turbulent dissolution of the negrito can also show as blue movies, blue language, Lamar blue, blue beard, blue murder, and cyanotic body. When these sorts of pornographic, perverse, vastly or vicious animus anima fantasies start up, we can place them within the blue transition toward the albedo. Then, we will look for bits of silver in the violence. There are patterns of self-recognition forming by means of horror and obscenity. The soul's putrefaction is generating a new anima consciousness, a new psychic grounding that must include underworld experiences of the anima itself, her deathly and perverse affinities. The dark blue of the Madonna's robe bears many shadows, and these give her depths of understanding. Just as the mind made on the moon has lived with Lilith so that its thought can never be naive, never cease to strike deep toward shadows, Blue protects white from innocence, and I'm going to pause there, folks. I know that sounded a little bit wordy and lengthy, and uh, probably uh, lost some of you in that. This is alluding to the alchemical process that is generally regarded as having been practiced by the physical alchemists, okay? The ones who actually performed alchemical processes. You start with the Negrito process, which is the blackening. And as you go through the process more, you uh, uh, strain out the different portions into different parts. And you keep lighting these things on fire until you get this pure white at the end of this pure white ash. 
so to say. And this is what it's talking about as far as you go through the different stages, uh, the stages of dissolution, of putrefaction, all these different things until you get to what they call albedo, which would be that white powder, that fine white powder. The embodiment of these things, it says here, blue protects white from innocence. So uh, we all have a, a dark side and we all have a light side. And this is talking about transitioning out of darkness and, and taking these bad experiences that happen to us and transmuting them into good. And that's what the ancient alchemists fully intended, to turn the bad things into good things. This is a power that is given to us by the Lord. Uh, he's able to make bad things work for our betterment. And this is part of the process of, of living here in this place that we live in. That's, that's a portion of the mystery of what alchemy portends here and what the importance of alchemy is. And the color blue is a perfect symbolic representation of alchemical processes. That's why uh, when we read earlier, it says that it's, it's, you know, associated with magic and the occult and things like that. But the darker colored shades of blue are associated with the dark side of this or the evil. And those would be the people in positions of power today in many regards. So let's read on and we'll see a lot of this plays into Carl Jung's theories on things as well. And most people don't know, although he's a well-known psychologist or psychiatrist, he was also an alchemist. And many people are unaware of that. Uh, but he uses these ideas and these ideas were not his original ideas, okay? He's not the person who invented the idea of archetypes. These things are very, very old. These ideas go all the way back as far as mankind. He just understood some of the concepts and described them in a way that uh, most of the modern world hadn't heard. Uh, so that being the case, some of the things he talks about are very important and they are ingrained in the human psyche. Let's, let's read on here. The vertical direction, as Jung reaffirms, is traditionally associated with blue. Going to pause there. So that means the vertical direction, moving upwards, transitioning upwards, okay? Uh, that, that kind of a, an idea is associated with blue. Let's read on. Ancient Greek words for blue signified the sea. In Tertullian and Isidore de, of Seville, Blue referred to both the sea and the sky, much as the Greek word buffon and the Latin altus connotated high and deep by one word. The vertical dimension as hierarchy continues in our speech as blue blood for nobility, blue ribbons, and the many mythical images of blue gods. Kenef in Egypt and Odin's blue wrappings, Jupiter and Juno, Krishna and Vishnu, Christ in his earthly ministry, like that blue Christ man seen by Hildegard of Binge. The transit from black to white via blue implies that blue always brings black with it. And I'm going to pause there, and that's an important idea. You can't understand what is good if there's not something evil or bad to contrast it to, right? How would we know the difference between good and evil if there wasn't some form of evil, right? You wouldn't be able to differentiate, and that, that's part of the human condition here. And the color blue is a good representation of that, and that's why I think it's important to look at these ideas, and that's why I'm talking about it here tonight, because I really don't hear anybody else out there talking about this stuff. 
Uh, so, you know, I think it's important that we go back to these core principles. Things like ideas like color, the importance of color. All right. Uh, a lot of ancient societies understood inherently a lot of these uh, associations with different colors. And that's why heraldry was such an important thing way back uh, in older times as well. People understood the symbols better. They understood the meanings of colors better. All these basic ideas that we've lost in the modern era, th these things are important and they affect us on a subconscious psychological level. So we need to be aware of these things. And the more aware of them we are, the more we could kind of discern, okay, what is the intent behind this symbol that I see in front of my face? What's being invoked here? What kind of attributes does it have? What kind of principles does it infer? Uh, what is it trying to ingrain in my mind? And once you see this on a conscious level, you're not as affected by it on an unconscious level, and you're not as reactionary, see? And that's exactly what these people in positions of power want. They want the public, they want the masses to be reactionary. That's predictable. That's controllable. But if you understand what they're doing and how they're using these things and see the intention behind them, then you disrupt their plans. And that's why it's important that we explore these ideas and topics. Anyway, let's, let's read on here. The transit from black to white via blue implies that blue always brings black with it. And I'm going to pause there again. I know I just, <laughs> I just read that and I paused and went back and read it again. But here's another important idea, okay? And this, this ties back to the Bible and original sin in the Garden of Eden. Blue, as we discussed in the very beginning here, is associated with the feminine energy. This is why it's said in the scriptures and in the book of Genesis uh, that Eve first partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and shared it with Adam. And you could kind of see this archetypal idea modeled in that story. So anyway, Let's get back to the reading. So it says here, it says, Among African peoples, for instance, black includes blue, whereas in the Jewish Christian tradition, blue belongs rather than white. Blue bears traces of the mortification into the whitening. What before was the stickiness of the black, like pitch or tar, unable to be rid of, turns into the traditionally blue virtues of constancy and fidelity. And I'm going to pause there again. For those not familiar with alchemical processes, uh, this is indicating another uh, portion of the alchemical process, which they call mortification here into the whitening. So it says before, where there was the stickiness of the black, like the pitch or the tar, uh, it turns into virtues of constancy and fidelity. So it starts to break down and become less sticky. This is what happens when you perform an alchemical uh, process on, like, you know, physical matter, like plants per se, uh, if you're performing a spagyrics process. And there's a lot of guys out there who know a lot more about this than myself. That being the case, these ideas are lost on a lot of modern thought. Uh, but that's exactly what's being referred to here. And like I had said earlier, sometimes these ideas and these different types of information, this type of information is found in the most unexpected places. Like this is actually from a theater group. Okay, this is about theater. And that should tell you something about uh, why actors 
are so important on the world stage, right? Uh, this is the performing arts, where they talk about alchemy, the arts. Where have we seen artists and stuff uh, be promoted before, where there's always heavy ties to occultism and things like that. That's one of the underground streams where this information is always put forward is in the arts and the performing arts. That's one of the main places that you could find alchemical teachings, strangely enough. So uh, especially when you're looking at some of the classical arts, there's things like uh, surrealism and Dadaism uh, that uh, bring forward a lot of these alchemical ideas. Okay, and, and this is one of the currents where it travels. And even Falconelli talked about that in his book, The Mystery of the Cathedral. The arts are an underground stream wherein a lot of alchemical ideas and information is brought forward. But if you don't have eyes to see it and you don't know what you're reading or looking at, you wouldn't quite understand it. The same dark events feel different. The tortured and symptomatic aspect of mortification, flaying oneself, pulverizing old structures, decapitation of the headstrong will, the rat and rot in one's personal cellar, give way to depression. As even the darkest blue is not black, so even the deepest depression is not the mortifaction, which means death of soul. The mortifaction is more driven, images locked compulsively in behavior, visibility zero, psyche trapped in the inertia and extension of matter. A mortifaction is a time of symptoms. These inexplicable, utterly materialized tortures of psyche in physis are relieved according to the procession of colors, by a movement towards depression, which can commence as a mournful regret, even over the lost symptom. It was better, and it quotes here, it was better when it hurt physically, now I only cry. Blue misery. So, with the appearance of blue, feeling becomes more paramount, and the paramount feeling is the mournful plant. Rimbaud equates blue with the vowel O. Kandinsky with the sounds of the flute, cello, double bass, and organ. These laments hint of soul, of reflecting and distancing by imaginational expression. Here we can see more why archetypal psychology has stressed depression as the via regia in soul-making, the ascetic exercises that we call symptoms, and their treatments, the guilty despairs and remorse as the negrito decays, reduce the old ego personality, but this necessary reduction is only preparatory to the sense of soul which appears first in the blued imagination of depression. So I'm going to pause there for a moment. So this once again is referring back to an alchemical process, okay? So if you were to perform an alchemical process, the first thing you usually do would be to burn the material. And it goes through this blackening process called the negrito. And eventually, as you uh, sort uh, the materials and separate the materials and burn the materials again, at some point they start to become a little lighter until they get to that ultimate white phase at the end, that white powder. Okay, so that's kind of what this is referring to. So this is saying things that start out as depression or despair. It, this depression turns into despair, which is, you know, slightly less than depression. It's a lighter color. It's part of what shapes us and guides us through life. So many of these ideas are associated here with the color blue and it, it's shown as a transitory color. 
it, it shows that all the different transitions of human experience through here. Uh, so let, let's continue on with the reading. It says, let us say, blue is produced by a collaboration between Saturn and Venus. And I'm going to pause there. There, it's invoking different archetypes here again. Okay. Saturn and Venus. All right. So uh, it's tying the astrological in here. And uh, most people, I think, that are in the performing arts world probably don't fully get a lot of this stuff that's that's being inferred in, in things like this. Uh, but there are artists and stuff that study it and kind of get the emotional side of things with it and understand how to use colors to invoke emotions. Uh, and I think that's, that's by and large, what most of them get from this kind of a, a writing. But uh, there's deeper meanings and stuff involved here. So anybody who's, uh, you know, been... Uh, initiated in one of the secret schools or something at a high enough level might understand some of this or has had some alchemical training might understand some of this a lot better so let, let's read on though because now they're associating the color blue by a collaboration between saturn and venus <laughs> which is a very interesting idea uh, but let, let's read on According to Giacinto Gemma an 18th century gemologist blue represents venus while the goat, the Saturnian emblem of Capricorn, is Blue's animal. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. This is one of the things I wrote about. It's the archetype of Pan, the Capricorn, the goat, the greatest of all time. Uh, the greatest of all time. He's the goat. Uh, all this invocation of the goat idea. It's invoking Capricorn energies. Uh, and this directly relates to what we're talking about here tonight with the color blue. Let's continue on with the reading, and then maybe you'll start to see something a little bit deeper. Blue represents Venus, while the goat, the Saturnian emblem of Capricorn, is Blue's animal. Capricorn, you will recall, extends slowly from the depths to the heights. Immense range and immense patience, where Blue brings to Venus a deeper melancholy, and to Saturn a, magna a magnanimity. Another virtue of blue, according to Gemma, it also slows the motion of whiteness, for it is the color of repose. And that's according to Kodinsky, and I'm going to pause there. Listen to that again. It slows the motion of whiteness, for it is the color of repose. Uh, so whiteness would represent spiritual enlightenment. Blue slows that process. That's exactly what's going on in society right now. They're trying to quell this great awakening that's going on. And they're trying to replace it with a great reset uh, to invoke these Capricorn energies into our world and break the natural cycle. I don't want to lose anybody here, but these are important ideas to explore. Thus, blue is the retarding factor in the whitening. It is the element of depression that raises deep doubts and high principles, wanting to settle things fundamentally and get them right in order to clarify them. This effect of blue on white can appear as feelings of service, labor, and disciplined observance of the rules, civil conformities like the blue cross, blue collar, and blue uniforms which figures of these feelings might carry. The effect can also appear in feelings of guilt and conscience. There is indeed a moral aspect of the whitening, and I think this is precisely the effect of blue. The whitening implies neither a lessening of shadow nor awareness about it. Rather, 
It means to me more space to carry its heights and depths, its full stature. The soul is wider because the shadow is out of the repressed and aired in detailed conscious ways. The way blues give shadow depth and precision of body in oil paintings. The way one drop of bluing makes the laundry whiter. The specific shading depends on the white-black proportion. If the black exceeds the white by one degree, it exhibits a sky-blue color. The more black, the darker the blue. But even the, those celestial aspirations that race like a blue streak into the wild blue yonder carry a modicum of darkness, a drop of putrefaction, a saving grace of depression in their hope. In fact, the saving grace of Mary's light blue may lie just in that one degree of blackness. And I'm going to pause right there. So we hear a lot of concepts and ideas inherent in these thoughts and it's referring once again here to the artistic process it's talking about paint how a drop of blue in the paint will add a whole dimension to these many things let's read on here it says i have myself understood the jungian notion of blue as quote the thinking function to refer to Blue's ancient association with the impersonal depths of the sky and sea, the wisdom of Sophia, moral philosophy and truth. Images painted blue, says the pseudo-Dionysus, show the hidden depth of their nature. Blue is darkness made visible. The depth is a quality of mind, an invisible power that permeates all things, like air, and blue, said Alberti, in his great Renaissance work on painting, is the color of the element of air. When the darker blues appear in analysis, I gird myself, expecting that we are now in for the highs and deeps of animus and anima, or what Jungians sometimes call the animus of the anima. Did you know that a blue stocking meant a learned lady? That blueism meant the possession or affectation of learning in a woman? And that just plain blue once meant fond of literature? These deep blues are inflations with the impersonal, the hidden. They do not feel high, but come across rather as ponderous philosophical thought, judgments about right and wrong, and the place of truth in analysis what seems and even is so deep however is actually far off and away from matters at hand what we are talking about seems to recede from us and draw us after it according to goth in the seductive manner of the anima i'm going to pause there once again so what we're referring to is this is kind of associated with the thought process with the mind Blue is associated with mind, and the imagination more specifically. And it's a feminine aspect of man, imagination. So uh, we seek that which is afar off, okay? We imagine things that are afar off, and this kind of lends credence to that idea when you look at how the sky looks. It's blue, and it draws our eyes toward the horizon, right, to things far off. Same thing with the sea, also blue. It's got depth of meaning. The color blue has a depth of meaning, and it's one of the more important primary colors uh, that we could explore the meaning of. So that's exactly why we're doing this tonight. And it's interesting how Jung spent so much time talking about this stuff. Uh, you wouldn't normally think a psychologist would be so hung up on something as simple as color. 
But uh, like I said, I mean, there's so many different hidden meanings and nuance to a lot of this stuff that we don't pick up on in the modern era. Uh, whereas people like Jung understood some of these alchemical processes. That being the case, he, he brought a lot of important ideas to the forefront here. By remembering that the animus of the anima is a psychic spirit attempting to enlighten the soul by deepening or raising it into impersonal truths, I am better able to get through these analytical sessions. I realize, thanks to Goethe, that these deep blue conversations of stimulating negation, and it says in parentheses, negative animus thoughts, negative anima judgments, have soul-searching intentions. A work of distancing and detaching is going on, an attempt at reflection that is still stained with the negrito because it burrows too deep, pushes too hard, neglecting the immediate surfaces from which silver catches the, its light. Nonetheless, the negatives that so obsess reflection with dark intuitions and depressive ruminations are enlarging psychic space by emptying out the room of its former fixtures. As the soul tries to work its way out of darkness by means of philosophical effort, the whitening is taking place. The animus is in the service of the anima. Even the negative mood and critique, my own withdrawal, that I feel during these exercises belong also to this blue way toward whitening. The negrito ends neither with a bang nor a whimper, but passes imperceptibly into breath soul, or anima, it says in parentheses, with a sigh. It helps to remember an image from Rabbi ben Jokai, told by Shalom. The ascending flame is white, but right below, as its very throne, is a black, blue-black light whose nature is destructive. The blue-black flame draws stuff to it and consumes it as the whiteness flames steadily on. The destructive blue and the white belong in the same fire. As Sholem comments, by virtue of its very inhesion in the negrito, the blue flame is able to consume the darkness it feeds upon. And I'm going to pause there. This is the basis of much of what is written in many of these older texts from the secret societies. This is why they refer to themselves as the philosophers of fire. It always relates back to this fire. There's an old saying that through fire, nature is perfectly renewed. The whole concept is that uh, it's through the use of fire that purification takes place and that the whitening of the soul takes place. It's through destructive processes that enlightenment can happen or rebirth. Uh, so these are a lot of the ideas that are, are caught up in, in much of these teachings. And they have some truth to them. I mean, there, there's no life that is not stained by some sort of uh, negative uh, energy of some sort. All right? And it's how we react to this. And this is what alchemy is about, okay? We take the dark things or the bad things and we turn them into good. We transmute them into good. Uh, that's what the process is about. Uh, you know, in an allegorical sense uh, and, you know, speaking in terms of what they would call spiritual alchemy here. We take the bad things and we transfer them into good things. We, we make that transmutation through this process. So uh, we must endure certain negative things in this world. And it's how we react to that and how we take that and transform that in our own lives that matters. Okay, And uh, 
you know, we've even been given this, this promise in the Holy Bible, where God says that uh, all those things that uh, were meant for us for bad, he can make into good or, or work for good. All things work together for good to those who honor him and are called according to his purpose. So we, we could see that there's, there's an inherent truth to a lot of these ideas. And this place we live in, it's, it's a, a schoolroom of sorts. Okay, we're being taught. Uh, we all go through bad things. We have trials. We have tribulations. We have this stuff. It's all about purifying our soul, making good from bad. And God promises us that he has the power and capability to do that. Because, see, he's the ultimate alchemist when it comes down to it. So these ideas uh, do have some truths to them. But when they're separated from God Almighty, well, then... That's where there's a problem, and that's why we have things like dark occultists in this world, see, uh, because they're separated from the love that is God. And then they utilize some of these knowledges and things that they have to ill effect for other people. And they, they don't perform the transmutation process properly. They do it in reverse. It's an inversion. They take good and make it into bad understand the example of the color blue being a transitory thing in this process is a perfect example because they're trying to darken the world they're trying to darken the blue towards these more evil things rather than towards the whitening idea see because they're not about the ascension of spirit of the spirit of man of of you know the masses of man they're all about maintaining control and making things darker making things more hidden by the darkness. So let's read on, though. I don't want to get too hung up on those different ideas. The connotations that we have uncovered in this amplification include the importance of blue in the alchemical process. Were the white to come merely as a clearing off, something essential would be missed. Something must incorporate into the albedo a resonance of a fidelity to what has happened and transmit the suffering with another shading, not as grinding pain, decay, and the memory of depression, but as value. And I'm going to pause there. Value, folks. These things, these experiences we have, they have value. Okay, They may be painful to go through at the time. They, they may be unpleasant at the time. But there is an inherent value there, and it helps for us when we come to this reflection point. We can see, in hindsight, what kind of good can come from something that was painful and hurtful at the time. Or how we could help others, and that's the important thing here. How can we help others who are going through this same process to cope a little better, or to have a little better outcome than what we did? It's about helping others by reflecting on our own experiences. See, so that's why it's important to think on these things. And I know it's kind of deep and philosophical for people to think about. And a lot of people don't like to think deeply or philosophically about these things or think clearly on these things. But uh, th this is important stuff. This is about spirit. This is about soul. Uh, this is about doing the right thing. Helping others. I mean, these are all acts of love. And like I said, those trying to pursue these things without right relationship with God, the creator, they are sometimes led astray or go towards agendas and pursue agendas that benefit only themselves, not necessarily to help others. 
And they're drawn to the dark side. That's the left-hand path. See? And that's why people get so caught up in many of these things. It's an interesting dichotomy, but uh, this is primarily one of the major aspects of alchemy. It's a personal path everybody has to take, and everybody's path is different with it. Uh, and looking at these things through the lens of, say, the, the color blue here, as, as we're discussing it, gives us kind of a good good type of way to understand these things. Uh, the different shades of blue, how they represent different things, how it's representational of different types of energies, and, you know, how bad things can become good. And also the inverse, how good things sometimes become bad. So let's read on where we left off. Value, we recall, belongs to the phrenomology of silver. The sense of the value of psychic realities is not born merely from relief of black distress. The blue qualifies the white with worth in the ways we have mentioned, and especially by its introduction of moral, intellectual, and divine concerns, thereby bringing to the whitened mind a capacity for evaluating images, devotion to them, and a sense of their truth, rather than only reflection upon their play as fantasies. It is the blue which deepens the idea of reflection beyond the single notion of mirroring to the further notions of pondering, considering, meditating. The colors which herald white are spoken of as iris, and the rainbow as many flowers, and mainly as brilliance of the peacock's tail with its multiple eyes. Gonna pause there. Eyes. Did you catch that? So <laughs> let's read on though. According to Paracelsus, the colors result from dryness acting on moisture. Believe it or not, there is more color in the alchemical desert than in the flood, in less emotion than in more. Drying releases the soul from personal subjectivism, and as the moisture recedes, that vivacity once possessed by feeling can now pass over into imagination. Blue is singularly important here because it is the color of imagination. The blue mood which sponsors reverie, the blue sky which calls the mystic imagination to its farthest reaches, the blue of Mary who is the western epitome of anima and her instigation of image making, the blue rose of romance, a pathos which pines for the impossible contra naturum, and pathos the flower was a blue larkspur, or delphinium, placed on graves. I call also on Wallace Stevens' blue and Cezanne's blue as testimonies. Blue represents in Stevens' work the imagination. Such as the romantic or the imagination, imaginative in contradistinction to the realistic. And it was as well, for Stevens, the color of intellectual stability and reason. Both the intellect and imagination are blue, just as Stevens' poetry presents that combination of thought and image so successfully. The appearance of blue in the coloration process indicates that span of the spectrum where thought and image begin to coalesce. Images provide the medium for thoughts, while reflections take an imaginative turn away from the dark and confined frustration of the negrito and toward the wider horizon of mind. The blue instrument moves soul 
from sounding its small lament to the great breath of Kadinsky's organ, its largo, the spacious march of philosophizing that can incorporate the hurts of one's history into a tragic sense of life. And we're going to go on. We're just going to go a few more paragraphs here before we uh, close it up because we've hit on a lot of important points here. And my whole point in doing this is just to get people to think. So we're just going to continue on a little bit and I'll give a few closing thoughts here. As with Stevens, so with Cezanne, when he was composing, only a visionary's or a poet's imaginative conception could be of help to him. It was impossible for him to start out from an isolated real thing scene. He based his painting on shadow paths and contours out of which real things emerged as local high points. The imaginative conception, the visionary shadow, originates and supports the real thing seen in nature, the deepest shadow color in Cezanne's paintings. The one which supports the composition and is most appropriate for shadows is blue. Cezanne gave blue a new depth of meaning by making it the foundation of his world of objects existing together. For, when he used blue in this way, he transcended any special connotation which had attached to its former uses. Blue was now recognized as belonging to a deeper level of existence. It expressed the essence of things and their abiding inherent permanence and placed them in a position of unobtainable remoteness. The blue foundation is the imaginal ground which allows the eye to see imaginatively the event as image, creating at the same time a remoteness from real things. From the green of the actual world, a remoteness felt in the nostalgia which blue brings. With blue comes both the longing towards white and a sad acknowledgement that as whitening proceeds, one both comes home and can't go, can't go home again. Once the black turns blue, darkness can be penetrated, unlike the negrito, which absorbs all insights back into itself, compounding the darkness with negative introspections. The shift to blue allows air so that the negrito can meditate itself, imagine itself, recognize that this very shadow state expresses the essence of things and their abiding, inherent permanence. Here is imaginal consciousness affirming its ground. Cezanne wrote, Blue gives other colors their vibration, so one must bring a certain amount of blue into a painting. From his perspective, blue would be the crucial color in the palette of the peacock because it transforms the other colors into possibilities of imagination, into psychological events that come to life because of blue. Bohm writes, imagination of the great mystery, where a wondrous essential life is born, results from the colors. The full flowering of imagination shows itself as the qualitative spread of colors, so that imagining is a coloring process, and if not in literal colors, then as the qualitative differentiation of intensities and hues, which is essential to the act of imagination. When colors shine in the peacock's tail, so too do the eyes whereby they can be seen. Imaginative vision precedes the whiteness itself, otherwise the white earth cannot be perceived as the transfiguration of nature by imagination. I'm going to read that sentence again, folks. 
and I think we'll end it right there. Imaginative vision precedes the whiteness itself. Otherwise, the white earth cannot be perceived as the transfiguration of nature by imagination. So, we could see the importance of the color blue, and not just the color blue, but all the different colors. Uh, but blue perfectly represents this transitory phase between darkness and light. Okay, It's a perfect allegorical symbol of the struggles that we all go through uh, within our own minds and hearts on a daily basis here. It's a battle within ourselves. It's the good versus evil. And uh, it perfectly uh, outlines the whole alchemical process. We go from the dark towards the light, right? The whitening concept. And as we get further away from that darkness or the shadowy parts of the blue that tend towards blackness or the negrito process, and we get more towards the uh, whitening part, that's where in the middle we reach what they call silver, okay? The color silver, the, the color of reflection, the color of value, silver. Silver has inherent value in this world. It's an important metal in this world, and there's a reason for that. Uh, it's the reflective quality, see? So when we could reflect on these negative things that have happened to us and transmute them into good, positive things, we do this whitening process, and that's what alchemy was intended to do. Uh, but there are people in positions of power in this world that are trying to transmute stuff more towards the darkness because that's where they have their power and that's where they attain the control that they do because they sh shadow everything in this darkness. They muddy the waters, so to say. They keep everything vague and black and, and confusing. See, where there's confusion, uh, there's an easier means of controlling people. And that's what it's about to them. They want to keep the, mi the mind shadowed in this negativity, in all of this bad stuff, these negative emotions. Uh, they, they want you in a bad way. That way you're easier to control. Uh, they can control you and keep you from achieving this process. And like I said, this equates directly to what they're calling the quote-unquote the Great Awakening. And they're trying to replace this Great Awakening process with what they call the Great Reset. Or more recently, Klaus Schwab came out and called it the Great Narrative. And they choose their wording very carefully. Narrative, indicating a story. Usually a fictional story, right? Uh, and we see this all the time. And news media is one of the primary means that they use to promote these different ideas and to keep people's minds in the blackness or towards the negrito where they can't see beyond the horizon, where there's no imagination. The imagination of man is quelled down. You can only see darkness. You can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. That's where they want you. And, and sadly, these are some of the people that are in power, in positions of power in this world today. They're dark occultists who want this. They want to have this ultimate control and power over the world. But there are those of us out there that are awake and aware of what's going on. And we have a little bit of knowledge, just a little bit of knowledge of some of these old alchemical principles and how they're being used against us. And we all need to speak up and make more people aware of the importance of these ideas and the value 
of these ideas. I can't stress that word enough. Value. It's not always pleasant to look at or acknowledge that there's dark, evil things going on in the world. And it's not always easy or pleasant pointing them out. But it's necessary because there's value in it. And it could help people reflect. See, see the reflection in the silver towards this whitening process. Okay? And it's important that we point these things out for that reason. Because as we do, more people are becoming aware. Hey, you know what? I've never noticed these bad things to this extent before. And I really need to start doing something to change things. So that's the bottom line with all of this. is Be the change that you want to see in the world. It starts with us, individually. We're all on this individual path. And if we have better understanding of some of these principles... We can turn the bad things into good. We can all do that. We have that power. God gave us that promise that he can make all these bad things that are are put against us and turn them into good. Uh, and that's the power of and promise of what the ancient alchemists understood. We need to take these bad things in the world and turn them into good. And we do that first by reflection by being able to look upon these bad things and know we don't have to go back to that or we don't have to fall deeper into that. Reflect on that, the depression, the sadness that that stuff brings us. Find the value that we need in order to uh, see the contradiction to that because you can't understand what good is if you don't understand what bad is. So there's no distinction between good and bad without that dichotomy. So we need to look upon the darkness and reflect upon that if we want to get to the whitening process. If we want enlightenment of our souls, so to say. If we want to have good triumph in our lives. It's an individual process for all of us, but that's the importance of this. And that's why it's important to look at things on a basic level like this. Because who would think that uh, there is just so much information inherent in a simple color? Well, the, the alchemists knew this. The ancient people understood this much better than we do. And they acted upon these things and, and inherently knew some of these different truths and were able to find value in that. And that's what we need to do here today is find value in understanding what's going on in the world and pointing it out to people so that they too can go through this process and then reflect through the silver on this whole thing. Uh, when they're on this spectrum of the blues. Anyway, that's all I have for tonight, folks. I hope that uh, you found this valuable. I hope you found value in this transmission. I know I certainly am interested in finding more writings like this. And uh, like I said, you can find them in some really unexpected places. So uh, don't be afraid to delve into the arts uh, because many artists have some classical training of sorts and understand some alchemical principles better than most. Anyway, thank you for tuning in. Have a good night now. I'll catch you. Come with me.